Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Today on Add Passion and Stir, we're talking to Duff Goldman. You know him as Ace of Cakes. When coronavirus hit, we, you know, we had to stop everything. Every wedding got canceled, all the birthday parties got canceled. And so, you know, we had to shut down. You know, we had a really serious talk about like, wow, are we going to make it through this? And so, you know, we all, we're all trying to figure out what, like, how do we, how do we survive? How do I pay everybody if I don't have any income? Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And today, as our guest, somebody we've wanted on this show for a long time, and the fact that we're all at home has made it finally possible. Duff Goldman, pastry chef extraordinaire. Um, has uh, Charm City Cakes in Baltimore, splits his time, I think, between Baltimore and Los Angeles. And uh, many of us know him from the Food Network show, Ace of Cakes. Duff, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for having me, Billy. This is great. Um, Duff, the last time I saw you, uh, there's a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but you know, the thing that's forever imprinted on my mind, and you know what I'm going to say, is you riding in after 100 miles on a bike to a hero's welcome. From the chef cycle. Um, now I'm going to say, what was it, two years ago? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> hundred mile yeah. ride. And um, yeah. it was amazing. And we raised a lot of money for the No Kid Hungry campaign. And uh, I think a lot of people were inspired by you, by all of us. But, um, you know, it was pretty amazing experience. Yeah, I tell you, you know, it's incredible. Like, you know, guys like, you know, Jeff and Jason and Steve, you know, they, uh, you know, they'll finish that ride in like two and a half hours. And uh, I think it took me about nine. Well, it took, yeah, don't, don't feel bad. It took me about six or six and a half, maybe seven. So uh, you, were, you weren't far behind me, man. Uh, but some of the others that you just mentioned are chefs, restaurateurs, but also, you know, I put them in the category of elite riders, not weekend riders like myself. And they, they really... They roar. They go out at six thirty in the morning. They're back at the pool by eleven thirty. Yeah, they are competitive cyclists. Yeah. So Duff, <laughs> um, you know, one of the things people always, our listeners always want to know because they're so passionate about food, and um, and for the last number of weeks, our conversations, of course, have intersected with everything that's going on with coronavirus and COVID nineteen, and particularly the changes in the restaurant community. And we'll get to that. But our listeners are always curious about kind of the what I've found to be the circuitous path that chefs of every stripe seem to take to get to being chefs. Did you start out that way? Uh, did you know you were going to be a chef or did something, were you on another path and did it change? You know, it's, it's a weird journey, how we all find the food service industry, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, thank God for the food service industry, by the way, because I don't know what I'd be doing. Honestly, I mean, I, c I couldn't work in an office. I was actually a graffiti artist um, when I was a kid and I had to get a job so I could make money to buy spray paint because I couldn't really ask my mom for money for spray paint. So I got a job at McDonald's. I was 14 and a half. I got a, a permission slip from my guidance counselor at school and I got a job. And that was my first restaurant gig. You know, it was just the only job where, you know, a 14 and a half year old kid could, you know, get hired. So um, I started working at McDonald's and then uh, worked at a few different places. I grew up on Cape Cod, so I worked at a place called Sandwich Pizza, which was a pizza restaurant in the town of Sandwich. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I worked at this place called the East Sandwich Grill. I was a breakfast cook. 
you know, and I worked at a few different, you know, food places. And I was in high school, I was a senior, and I was about to go to college. And my brother came to the pizza shop, and he wanted a steak and cheese. And so he came in the back, and we were hanging out like, next to the griddle, where I was making his steak and cheese, and we were just talking. And as we were talking, I, I looked down, and I realized that both my hands were chopping up this meat really fast on the griddle with the big griddle spatulas while I was having a conversation with my brother, which, you know, was like kind of, it like sort of shocked me for a second. I was like, wow, my hands are doing this completely by themselves. I'm really good at this. Maybe I should be a chef. And that was like the first time I ever had that thought of like, wow, this could actually be, you know, a career I could cook for a living. But I was about to go to, to undergrad. And so, um, you know, my parents were like, no, you should go to college and, you know, hopefully you'll grow out of this cooking thing. And while I was in college in Baltimore, I got a job working for Cindy Wolf. Like she had the best restaurant in the city. I wanted to be a chef. And so, I, you know, when I went there to apply, you know, I showed her my resume and she was like, you've worked at McDonald's and a pizza shop and a breakfast place and Burger King. You don't know how to cook. And I was like, sure I do. I, yeah. To make uh, 12 Big Macs in a minute, you know. Uh, so the restaurant uh, at the time, it was called Savannah, uh, but now it's changed and it's called Charleston. And it is the best restaurant in Baltimore by far. And you talked to yourself in the door? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that's it's actually been a habit of mine. Um, when I was in culinary school in Napa, uh, I was skateboarding in Yauntville. And me and a friend of mine, we skated by uh, the French Laundry. My friend was like, yo, that's like the best restaurant in the world. I was like, really? And right in the middle of service. I don't know if you've, you, you've probably been there, right? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great restaurant. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. But the kitchen is kind of like separate from the from the restaurant. And it's sort of like there's a parking lot back there. And uh, you could look in and you could see everybody cooking. And I like went up to the back door. I went through the little the, like the room where you make stock and soup and everything. And I stuck my head in and that's where the pastry department was. And Stephen Durfee was standing there plating dessert. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? I go to the culinary school up the street. Do you need any help? And he was like, yeah, show up tomorrow at 6 a.m. I need some cookies. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I left, came back at 6 a.m. So that was just that was just timing. That was just perfect timing. Perfect timing. That's all it was, you know, and, uh, and you know, and wow. definitely like uh, a little chutzpah. You know, <laughs> uh, I get it from uh, like, I think from being a graffiti artist, because like when you're 14 and you're, you know, you're breaking into train yards and, you know, spray painting trains and getting chased by cops, like you have a certain amount of chutzpah. Uh, I was at French Laundry for about a year. And all pastry. Uh, pastry and cheese. Yeah. So uh, I plated the cheese during lunch service and plated pastry during dinner service. And what was the next stop after French Laundry? Uh, after French Laundry, I I kind of wanted to ease up a little bit. It was a pretty intense experience. And so I decided I wanted to like chill and bake some bread and just be a bread baker somewhere. And so I had a bunch of friends who lived in Vail, Colorado. Uh, they were all uh, pro-am snowboarders. I was uh, kind of driving around the country a little aimless, didn't really know what to do. And I stopped to see my friends in Vail. I was like, you know, this is kind of a nice place. You know, I could get a job here, baking some bacon bread somewhere. I went in, I interviewed at this uh, really nice uh, resort. It was the Vail Cascade Resort. I went into, you know, interview to be a bread baker. And the chef was this really cool guy. He's like, I don't need a bread baker. I need a, a pastry chef. And I was like, I'm not a pastry chef. And he's like, I need an executive pastry chef. And I was like, listen, man, I'm like 23. I just left a restaurant that had 30 cooks for 90 seats. And you want me to be a pastry chef at a hotel? I've never worked in a hotel before. 
And so uh, he's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. Just do what you did at the French Laundry. Just do it more. <laughs> so I, I ended up taking the job and it was really great that I did because, I, you know, it's it's sink or swim. You know what I mean? I was way too young. I was like way too inexperienced. I should not have been a pastry. You know, I shouldn't have been an executive pastry chef at a big fancy resort. But, you know, it's hard to find talent in a little mountain town. So, you know, even though I didn't know much, I knew a little bit more than everybody else. And so I got to learn everything. I learned how to carve ice. I learned how to do wedding cakes. I learned how to do banquets. I mean, you know, you like, I learned a lot of crazy stuff. It was a really, really good experience because it really taught me a little bit of just like personal responsibility. And how did you get to Charm City Cakes? Where did that idea first come to you? After uh, Veil Cascade, I got a job working for Todd English uh, at Olives in Washington, D.C., um, oh, I loved that restaurant. Yeah. That was one of my favorites. Right at right at Sixteenth and K, right? Sixteenth and K, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a great place. It really was. I mean, it was just because the Sheriff Strength Office stuff was at Fifteenth and K. Was it so you really? Can imagine. Um, yes, yeah, so you can imagine how much time. It, it's not any longer now. It's actually at Fifteenth and L. It's right around the corner. But you know, you were right, Caddy Corner to the Capitol Hilton, and we, our building was attached to it. And I was over at Olives all the time. Oh man, I probably cooked for you. <laughs> you might have cooked. Yeah, it was a really great place. I mean, it was it was wonderful. And, you know, working for Todd was really was a blessing. I mean, that guy just I mean, his his you know passion for cooking and for feeding people uh, is just, you know, it, it, you can't help but just sort of bask in it, you know, and just and just get it by osmosis. I mean, it's really wonderful. Um, so I was working there. I worked there for about I don't know, a year and change. And then I was thinking about my career. I was thinking about how you know, I'm still young. I'm also a musician and I wanted to pursue my career in music. So I quit and I moved back to Baltimore and started a band. And while I was starting the band, I started my bakery. And it was basically like, you know, I was trying to figure out what could I do for money while I'm trying to become a big famous rock star. I knew I could make wedding cakes and, you know, I knew how to bake them. I could figure out how to actually run a business. And uh, so I started making wedding cakes in my apartment in Baltimore on my coffee table. Now, how long ago was this? That was uh, March of 2002. And so then I started getting busier, you know, and I was like, you know, playing music and it was great. I was able to like go on tour and, you know, it was a perfect business for it because if I needed to like take three weeks and record a record, I could do that. If I needed to take, you know, two months and go on tour, I could do that. And so, you know, I was able to really pursue music as a career while being able to pay the rent. And then, you know, all my buddies are musicians too. And so my buddy Jeff was working as an architectural model builder for uh, this architect in Baltimore. And he's also a musician. And he was like, you know, I want to pursue my music career too. I'll quit and come work for you. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting idea. And so I hired my friend Jeff. And then um, he turned out to, I mean, he's by far, I think, the best cake decorator in the world. The guy's amazing. And I hired my friend Chris taught him how to bake all the cakes. And eventually we sort of, you know, we grew this company that was just all like people either in bands or students at the, at MICA, which is the art school in Baltimore. Amazing. And what was your band called? At the time it was, so I was in a couple of different bands that, that when I first started, that band was uh, called two day romance. <laughs> it was an emo band. And then, um, after that, I got in a band called So I Had To, which was a uh, like a post-rock band. And are you, are you still making music? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm in a band out here in L.A. Uh, it's all chefs, and we're called Foie Rock. <laughs> I love um, that. <laughs> I wanted to be called Bread Zeppelin, but I was I was voted down. <laughs> but yeah, it's all chefs. So uh, Bruce Kalman's our singer. Uh, my buddy Jeff, uh, who's you know moved out here too, he plays guitar. Uh, our friend Jesse plays guitar also, and then our friend Fran, uh, who owns a restaurant here in town, he plays drums. And we're like we do covers, we play like charity events and stuff. So if you ever like having a charity event out here in LA and you need a band, we we play for free and we're really good. <laughs> wow, uh, we you know you know us. We're going to take you up on that because you know awesome. we have events everywhere. So you might have you might have just said that to the wrong guy. Oh no, I love we love it's it is so much fun because here's the thing is like as chefs, you know, we do a lot of you know charity events and and fundraising and stuff, and it's great. It's always great. Don't get me wrong. You know, all chefs love doing it, but it's you know you just got like every time it's like you go, you set up, you're just feeding people and serving food and serving food, and like this is great because instead of doing that, we actually just get to hang out and play music for everybody, and people get excited. You know, it's like you know I'm still there, so you know they still get to see me, but it's like oh this is cool. We actually get to like hear some music, and the charity doesn't have to hire a band, so they 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 save some money. So you're one of these people who has figured out how to take what you most enjoy doing in life and make a living from it, right? I mean, there are people like that, and it feels like you're a classic example of that. I'm, I'm, pr- I love what I do, you know, and it's I've loved sort of every stage of it. I think which is really incredible. I mean, I, you know, I love being a student, you know, and I think that because I love being a student so much, it's really carried with me and I'm still a student. I'm still insanely curious about everything. Um, you know, I love being a young cook, you know, working at restaurants and, you know, working behind the line and being in the industry. Uh, I love being a business owner, you know, that's really exciting. But, you know, the, the biggest thing is I get to create art for people and, you know, that's rare that you can do that and actually make a living. You know, I'm insanely blessed that I was able to find this thing that I love to do and do it in such a way that people will pay me for it, you know, and then I can pay all my friends for it. And it's just, it's, it's a blessing. It's an absolute blessing. How did Ace of Cakes come about on the Food Network? Uh, So Ace of Cakes, that's funny. We, uh, so, um, you know, we were like, you know, a bunch of dudes, we all had tattoos, we're in bands and we, we were running a wedding cake shop, you know, this place would, you know, make all these like really fancy, nice wedding cakes. And uh, at the time when we opened, like, you know, there really weren't any good cake shops in Baltimore. I mean, there, there were some cake shops, but they were they were dated. It's not that they weren't good. They were very good. It's just they were they were a little bit old school and people were looking at Martha Stewart weddings and they want those cakes. And, you know, th- we were the first baker that was really able to sort of provide those kinds of cakes for brides in Baltimore. And so we got well known relatively quickly. And because of that, uh, Food Network eventually called and they were like, hey, we're doing these cake competitions. Um, you know, we hear you guys are pretty good. Do you want to come and, and compete? We're like, yeah, sure. That'd be fun. So we went and did it and we didn't win. Um, we actually never won. We did a whole bunch of these competitions. We never won. But like, you know me, Billy, I'm, I'm a kind of a goofy guy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Jeff's, you know, also a very intelligent, interesting, very funny dude. And we were a little different than everybody else, you know, cause back then this was in like 2004, 2005, you know, people were competing and it was like chef coats and the tall hats. And, you know, they were like legit 
talented, amazing pastry chefs doing what they do in front of a camera. And that was it. And Jeff and I, you know, were like younger than everybody else. We were like funny. We're both used to performing. We're both musicians. And so, you know, we realized like, you know, there's cameras. So we were like, you know, we turn it on and we were just kind of goofy and funny. And uh, so Food Network kept asking us back, even though we would never win because we were good television. Like, you know, we'd mess up all the time. We'd make jokes about it. You know, we were just kind of goofy. And so um, one time they were filming and they wanted to get some B-roll. So B-roll, like when you're watching a television show and like you see like it's like you'll see the, you know, there'll be some action. And then to bridge it with some other action, they'll do like some shots of the city that they're in or the woods or, you know, whatever. And those little those little sort of short segments are called B-roll. And so um, they wanted to shoot some B-roll. So they came to Charm City Cakes in Baltimore. Everybody that worked there was either in a band or in art school. And they all had, you know, blue hair and, you know, like just everybody was a little crazy. Um, and so, you know, Food Network kind of realized like, wow, there's like 11 of you and you're all goofy. It's not just you and Jeff. And uh, so, you know, that's how they kind of found that, you know, we had this, you know, really kind of interesting business where it was sort of, you know, less of a capitalist enterprise and more of like a commune kind of, you know, I mean, it was, it's very democratic in there, you know, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I gotta, I gotta pay the bills, but it's not like I say, this is what happens. And then those things happen. I mean, it's a very sort of collaborative place. And I think that, that they saw that and they're like, wow, this would be really interesting as a reality show. Um, so tell us a little bit more. You've mentioned Jeff a few times, tell us who he is and um, just how long you guys have worked together. So Jeff is my sous chef. Um, I mean, he's, I, I don't know. He's my partner. At, I mean, at this point, you know, he's Jeff started work from in 2005 and I've known Jeff since college. Uh, we've been friends since 1994. And, um, you know, we were, uh, we went to college together. We knew each other from the restaurant or from the music scene. You know, we were both musicians and, you know, very different kinds of musicians. Like all my bands are like, you know, loud chugga chugga rock and roll. And Jeff is like a singer songwriter. He plays trumpet. Um, you know, he's a much more accomplished musician than I am. <laughs> when you're musicians, you just kind of meet a bunch of people. And so we've been friends for a long time. We had a lot of mutual friends. I remember exactly how we got hired too. I was, uh, I was, I used to do a, uh, a burlesque cooking show. Uh, it was a live show, like not, and not taped, not, you know, like for, you know, mass consumption. It was a very adult theme show. And, uh, where, oh, uh, so Jeff lived in this big warehouse, uh, in a really sketchy part of town, like not like a big fancy loft, like a warehouse. And there was a bunch of our friends that lived in this place. And it was like a place where, you know, they all lived there, but we also like, we had like huge parties there. We would have, you know, big dances there. We, uh, like big Super Bowl parties. Uh, everybody played music there. There was a full studio set up. You know, it's just kind of one of these places where it was sort of the hub of, you know, a, a community of people. And, uh, you know, so uh, a friend of mine owned a theater company and uh, he wanted to do something funny like a comedy show. And so he's like, let's do like a silly cooking show. And so it turned into this uh, like this kind of burlesque act. And it was really amazing. And, you know, we would do it, you know, whenever we could. It was usually every weekend, you know, for like stretches of time. And uh, like the first one we did, like 30 people came and by like the, by the first year, I mean, we would sell out, you know, 800 people every night. I mean, it was just, it was insane. 
But uh, so I was doing that while I had just opened my bakery and, you know, also being in a band. And so, you know, I had a lot on my plate and I was really starting to burn out a little bit. And uh, so our friend Kevin, who also lived in that warehouse, uh, said, hey, Jeff should work for you. You know, he's trying to do the same thing you're doing. And so, like, basically Kevin hired Jeff for me. Um, and, uh, we've been partners ever since, you know, and it's, it's really, we, we really complement each other. Well, cause like, you know, my style is very like from the hip, you know, like kind of like wild and, you know, just, a, you know, a little crazier, a little less thought out. And, uh, Jeff is, um, you know, he was building models for an architecture firm. So he's very precise, very, very clean and very precise. And so when the two of us started working together, um, you know, the style of the cakes really changed. And, you know, to be 100% honest, they got a thousand times better, uh, you know, because Jeff would force me to slow down and take my time and, you know, figure out how to do, you know, how to how to solve problems. Yeah. Um, wow, what and, a good partnership. You know, yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, he he saves me from doing a lot of dumb stuff. You know, <laughs> I, I, would, I don't know where I'd be without that What's guy. Jeff's last name? <laughs> Manthorn, Jeff Manthorn. Manthorn, got it. Um, yeah. A lot of what you're talking about kind of for all of us came first slowed down and then kind of came to a halt with coronavirus. How's that impacted you? What what happened when you had to close? What would, Just what was it like? What did, what did you personally have to go through? Well, it's tough because, um, you know, we make cakes for gatherings. Like, like we, we don't like, so Charm City Cakes, like we really do one thing. Like we don't, we do, we like, we'll sell cupcakes and, you know, we have like cookies and stuff that people can come in and buy. But really what we do is we make big cakes for weddings and birthdays and bar mitzvahs and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, when coronavirus hit, we, you know, we had to stop everything. Every wedding got canceled. All the birthday parties got canceled. And I couldn't have my staff, you know, all in there. Um, and so, you know, we had to shut down. Uh, it was really, really difficult. Uh, it's really hard. And so we all kind of sat down and, you know, we had a really serious talk about like, wow, are we going to make it through this? You know, because we don't have any income and I've got a bunch of employees and how many, how big is you know, I just, nine in Baltimore and seven in Los Angeles. And so, you know, we all, we're all trying to figure out what, like, how do we, how do we survive? How do I pay everybody if I don't have any income? And, um, so what we did, uh, we, you know, we, we had a sort of big, you know, group conference call with everybody and, um, you know, we all kind of ideated about like, how, how are we going to get through this? And, uh, what we decided was we're just going to work on, uh, digital stuff. We're going to work on content. And so all of my employees went home, got webcams, and everybody's been making how-to videos, instructional videos. We launched a YouTube channel that's just grown exponentially. Um, I'm doing a lot of uh, like YouTube Live and Instagram Live baking demos here. And, you know, we've really seen that, uh, you know, it's had a lot of impact. It's not really bringing any income right now, but it's keeping everybody busy and um, I'm considering it as a investment in kind of like a, a brand sort of builder a, a new line of, for now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I got to I got to keep all these guys, you know, I don't want anyone to, to have to go on unemployment or, you know, God forbid, try to rely on the government right now. Uh, and so, you know, I'm trying to keep everybody, you know, working and so far it's been really great. Everybody's really responded. Um, you know, we have all kinds of new merch designs. One of the beauties of having such a small company is that you can pivot really fast. 
when you need to. And in a situation like this, you know, we were fortunate enough that we were able to do that. It's not the case for most restaurants. You know, most restaurants are in big, big trouble right now. You know, not everybody, you know, has a name like mine that can do, I put out on Instagram, hey, I'm going to do a video and 10,000 people are going to watch it. You know, not a lot, not, most people don't have that, that sort of uh, name recognition to be able to do that. So a lot of people are really, really in trouble right now. And you see it like how restaurants are trying to pivot and, you know, curbside pickup and, you know, people are doing delivery that didn't before, um, you know, and people are just, you know, they're figuring it out. And, you know, it's one of the things about people in the restaurant industry. We are resilient, you know, we really are. I mean, this is a huge hit, but people in the restaurant industry will figure it out. And, you know, we're going to need some help, but, you know, it's, it's something that I really, you know, I believe that most of the people that, you know, are shut down right now, they're going to, they're going to be back. I have to believe that. Well, one of the things that seems so characteristic of the industry and always has from my point of view is not just the resilience, but what you were describing in terms of creativity. I mean, you're fundamentally a creative person. You're, you know, the, a lot of chefs are artists in a way or, creators. Uh, so there's creativity, there's innovation, there's risk-taking, there's willing to be willingness to be a little bit crazy and try something that hasn't been tried before. So your sounds, you know, right now, having talked to a lot of your uh, colleagues in the industry, yours uh, at the moment is one of the happier stories, frankly. Uh, the fact that, you know, your team is small, they're all able to stay engaged, you're able to do this kind of fun stuff that's, I think, going to be good for the business. Uh, in the long term, that's um, that's a. I think that's something that should give a lot of folks hope. You know, it's like I know that we are in a very unique position, and you know, it's not like it's not something that you know a lot of people are able to do. We're very fortunate, but we're also really working hard to make sure that this is something that's going to sustain us. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough thing. Do you have some kind of uh, personal north star vision or? compass point you're aiming, aiming for something uh, that gives you a sense of how things are going to look when things, you know, evolve to the next phase of this. I got to believe that, you know, at, at whatever point people are able to be together to celebrate, they're going to want to, and you're going to be in big demand. I, you know, I think so. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's a lot of weddings that got put off. I think we're going to be really busy for a while when things, when things open back up. But yeah, as far as like a, you know, I don't, I don't think that far ahead, Billy. I'm just, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's not my, uh, it's not my forte. I'm, you know, I'm very in the moment. <laughs> and, and when, when you're not in the middle of a, a coronavirus crisis, how do you divide your time between LA and Baltimore? Um, I try to get back to Baltimore uh, about once a month. Um, it depends on what my filming schedule is like. Cause uh, like filming, you know, it'll be months on end. So there, there's definitely times that I'm not able to get back to Baltimore, but I'm back, you know, very frequently, you know, I have a little apartment above the bakery. I used to live there. <laughs> <laughs> and have you, have, have you ever thought of uh, having any other cities in the mix? I mean, it feels like you could be popular in a lot of places. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is, is that it's, you know, having two, especially so far away from each other is pretty difficult. You know, it's a, it's a lot of work and Charm City Cakes is a, it's a very special place where just like any cake shop, you know, it's, it's a small collection of people that really make it what it is. And my Los Angeles shop, my Baltimore shop have very different personalities. 
it's not something where I can open a whole bunch of them. You know what I mean? Like if I was selling like, you know, cupcakes and cookies and that was it, uh, you know, that's something that you can repeat that over and over again. You can go all over the place, put it in the mall, put it in the casino, put it, you know, in the airport, you put, put them all over the place. But with something like what we do, it's so special and so bespoke that, you know, trying to do more of them, it scares me. Yeah. It scares me just because I, you know, I like, I, I can't deal with a loss in quality. And if, if I had more than two, I just don't think that we would be able to keep an eye on everything. And, you know, things would start falling through the cracks because there's no system. There's no guidebook for, you know, how to do this. You know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, I want you to make a cake that looks like my dog. You know, that's something that you're going to need some insanely talented people to figure out how to do. Every dog is different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one of our good friends and champions at Share Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign, uh, who you know is Joanne Chang from Flower Bakery. And, you know, when, oh, yeah. when she was building her business, I think maybe they have nine or 10 bakeries now, but her rule was she had to be able to ride her bike to each of them for, for kind of the, the same reason. You know, she wanted to be, you know, it wanted to be intimately involved, um, wanted to have that quality control. And, and she does, she rides around all day, but uh, I could see between, um, you know, LA and Baltimore, you would have to stop it too. If you're going to try to keep both of them at the quality that you want is the way you just, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, we, we kind of wrap up here. Any thoughts about um, what kind of support the restaurant industry needs and deserves now and, and how, how we can help, you know, at share our strength, restaurants, chefs, bakers, the whole culinary community, that's been the heart and soul of everything we do. And it's enabled us to feed literally millions of kids. Um, currently, we're we're doing 2.9 million meals a day during coronavirus crisis uh, by, by funding alternatives to the school meals that kids usually rely on. But it's all been due to, uh, you know, you and your colleagues. And now many in the industry are going to need to help themselves. What can those of us who passionately care about the industry do to be supportive? I think the biggest thing is eat out often and tip well. Like right now, you know, even though we can't go out, like, you know, get get delivery, you know, get a lot of it, you know, and just make sure that people are working and, you know, serving food and, you know, they're doing their thing and, you know, make sure that, you know, you're tipping your drivers really well because they're, you know, risking a lot to, you know, bring you meals. And, you know, when this is over, just go out and eat, go out and eat and tell your friends, you know, go out to eat. Um, you know, I think those are the, the biggest things, you know, that people are going to need right now is just cash in hand. They just need the business. Beyond that, the, the biggest impact that every single person can have, the absolute 100% biggest impact is everybody, everybody needs to register to vote and vote in November. It is so important. It is so important right now. We are, we are in a very strange time and place. You know, we have this terrible, this terrible virus going around that's really shut everything down, and we are rudderless. There's nobody at the helm, and uh, I think it's really important that everybody goes out and votes and make sure that we vote for people that we know that can get us through this. And you know, just seeing what's happened with all the small business loans and seeing, you know these massive corporations that are getting all this money and none of my friends, nobody has received anything. From really? It's really? Wow. That's quite a statement. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned that Duff, because you know, we're, and so many of us involved 
with Share Our Strength on the No Cut Hungry campaign. We're activists, we're community-minded, we care about these issues. Uh, not enough of us vote. Uh, I do, of course. I don't think I've ever missed a, uh, a, an opportunity to vote or an election, um, and I've got a little bit of a political background, but not enough of us do, and that's just the most important thing we can be doing at every level, the federal level, local, state. We, we kind of end up with sometimes the policies we deserve if we don't vote, so I'm really glad you shouted that out. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's real important. And I, you know, I've been every, every appearance I do, you know, for the past couple of years, I, I always end it with everybody, no matter who you're voting for, go register and go vote. I mean, you know, the amount of people that died for the right for us to be able to vote and the fact that less than half of us do just boggles my mind, absolutely boggles my mind. You know, this is when you get a voice. This is when you get a chance. Got to go vote. It's super important. You know, what we see all the time, at Share Our Strength is the folks we're trying to serve, particularly children. As you can imagine, children are not able to vote. They're, they don't have lobbyists. They don't make campaign contributions. So they their needs tend to get ignored and they tend not to be only vulnerable, but voiceless. And they count on us to vote for them. <laughs> you know, So we're not only voting for ourselves. There's a lot of young people in this country who are very vulnerable, You know, record numbers of kids living in poverty and now suffering from hunger, they're not old enough to vote. We are. So we've, we've got to do it not just our, for ourselves, but for them. Thanks so much, Duff, for your not just participation with Share Our Strength and being willing to be at our events or jump on a bike and ride 100 miles, but for uh, giving voice to these issues. You've got a powerful platform and you've got a lot of followers. So it really means a lot to us that you're willing to take the time to to talk and to share your views. Really great to have you on. Well, you know, I mean, the work that Share Our Strength does is very, very necessary. And the way that you guys do it is just fantastic. You know, I remember when I first went to a school in Baltimore that you guys were serving meals at, you guys were providing meals. And just to see the, all the the bike rides and the fancy dinners and, the, you know, all the fundraising that I've done over the years, to see it in action and see it actually happening, it I don't know. It just it really it really kind of flipped a switch for me. You know, I mean, you guys do incredible work. Like it's 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 an honor that I'm able to do stuff for you and that it helps. You know, and I think that every chef that you work with has probably said something similar. And it's really true. It's really true. It's it's anything you guys need. You know it. I'm here. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see you at our next LA event. Hey, uh, one thing I should ask uh, and make sure people are aware of if it turns out to be the case, do you have to be in Baltimore or LA to get one of your cakes or can you do things online or order? And how, how does that work? Uh, we, so as far as like our custom cakes, um, we deliver all over the world, uh, you know, anywhere you want, we'll go there. Uh, we've delivered to Asia, Europe, and UK, you know, we've been all over the place. Uh, yeah. So when we're back in business, um, we're actually going to be starting a partnership with uh, Gold Belly. Oh, and awesome. So people are going to be able to order, uh, you know, cu- like custom cakes. Yeah. And what's the best website for you? Uh, the two websites, there's charmcitycakes.com. And for me, it's duff.com. And that has links to all my socials. It has a bunch of recipes. Every time I do any kind of online demo, we put the recipe on the website so people can go find it. Um, and just, you know, has all my upcoming appearances and TV shows, you know, all that 411, Duff.com. Duff.com. We've been talking to Duff Goldman. We're so happy to have you on. We've wanted to have this conversation for 
a long time and not uh, just have it breathlessly when we're on bikes. At least you and I are both breathless when we're, we're, we're on the bikes. Not everybody is. Um, but uh, really a treat to have you. So um, thanks for being on. Thanks to all of our listeners and the team at Share Our Strength who makes this possible. My sister, Debbie Shore, who's been a force behind the podcast and Kelly Griffin and our team at the No Kid Hungry campaign. Our producer is Paul Woodle. Uh, Woody, thanks for making this happen at District Productive. And you can listen to this podcast and share it. Uh, You can rate it, rank it, subscribe, share it with your friends. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.